Today, we're going to continue on in our series in Nehemiah. We're going to be finishing off chapter two. Uh, the title of the message, if you are taking notes, is Living by Faith. Living by Faith. And we're going to find ourselves back in chapter two in verses nine through 20 in this message, Living by Faith. Now, you know when someone uh, you know is coming over, like, like you are aware, maybe you invite someone over, so you're getting things ready, you're getting the house, maybe you guys are having people over for, for Halloween type stuff tonight, and maybe you're just getting, having dinner or whatever. And so you're getting the house ready, you know, your mom makes you clean a couple days in advance and all that kind of stuff. And then, uh, you know, you have the door unlocked because you know people are going to be coming through. And then there comes that point where you, you hear the knock, right? And so, and so what do you yell out? You know, you're kind of busy doing something else. You, uh, you yell out, right? Come in or doors open, right? Hey, doors open, like, come on in. And you now expect that person to do what? Walk in, right? Open the door, twist the knob, and push it open, right? Pretty, pretty understandable uh, concept that when we say doors open, it doesn't necessarily mean the door is like actually open. Like you still have to do something, right? And in a similar way, we see in the scriptures that God opens doors for those, for people that follow him. Have you guys ever heard this phrase before? God, God set before me an open door. And we use that even in our language, which is a good thing. It's become kind of a, a Christianese phrase, if you will, but it is a biblical one. We see in the New Testament that there are times when even Paul would say, I was going this place and God opened a door for me and so I went to this other place. And so this is a concept that we do find in Scripture. Now, of course, this isn't referring to the ability to open doors without you know, having to actually open it. Uh, it's not that God literally you know, you can walk around. It's referring to supernatural opportunities in everyday life. You might want to write that down if you're taking notes. An open door is a supernatural, meaning it wasn't just like by chance. It was a supernatural uh, opportunity in everyday life. Now, you can either have the perspective that it was supernatural or that it was just, right, by what some people would say, coincidence. Uh, but we know that we have a God in heaven who is sovereign uh, or is in control over all. Yet these opportunities that God supplies for you and I, uh, it doesn't mean that we don't have to do anything, right? An open door isn't a free pass to sitting back and being lazy. Really, an open door is an opportunity that you still have to twist the doorknob, push the door, and walk through it, right? God might say, hey, door's open, but you still gotta twist it and walk through it. Does that make sense? And we see this in the story of Nehemiah. Where it's pretty clear from last week that God has opened this door for Nehemiah. Do you remember? You remember when the king says, yep, thumbs up, we're going to send you. Here's some letters of passage. Here's some uh, letters to get materials that you need and go on your way. That is an open door. But now it's time for Nehemiah to walk through that door. He's been praying, he's been planning, and now it's time for him to go, to do. And so what we're going to see today is that this was no small task, right? It wasn't that Nehemiah was just going to go and repair a small part of the wall. No, this was a, this was a big task. But what Nehemiah understood was that he served a big God. And so let's pray and we'll get into it this morning. All right, Father in heaven, uh, Lord, we come to you now, uh, not out of repetition, 
not out of um, just tradition, but because we need you, God. Uh, Lord, we don't want this next little while that we're together to be worth nothing. We want it to be worthwhile. Lord, we want you to work in our hearts and, and draw us close. And so, Lord, we just pause and give you this moment and ask that you would really speak to us and that you would really put in our heart, like you put in Nehemiah's, of what you would want us to do for you. Since we know that we were created by you, for you, and that when we walk in the path that you've set out before us, we fulfill the, re- the very reason we were created. And so we look to you now for this. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. So, Listen, uh, as we kind of get into this, it's very evident to me that Nehemiah was a man of faith. Would you guys agree looking at chapter one and now a little bit of chapter two? Nehemiah was a man of faith. It's honestly a little surprising to me that Nehemiah is not mentioned by name in what we refer to as the hall of faith. Does anyone know in scripture where we find the chapter uh, that we refer to as the hall of faith? Does anyone know? Okay, if anyone knows the answer to this, I will give you something from the snack bar. Yeah, Joey. Hebrews 11. Joey, you get something from the snack bar. Hebrews chapter 11. Listen, Hebrews 11. See, this is why you answer questions, right? Hebrews 11 is known as the hall of faith. I mean, you go read Hebrews 11, you see guys like Abraham and Noah and Moses and Sarah, and you see men and women talked about, about how they live their life by faith. It's Old Testament characters, Old Testament stories talked about in Hebrews chapter 11. Interestingly enough, Nehemiah is not mentioned there, but he is certainly a man of faith. And what, what does that mean? Well, from Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, it's kind of like the hall of fame, you know, hall of fame, but hall of faith, do you guys understand? Anyway, you go read it later. But what we see there in the hall of faith is that a person of faith, is not a passive person, they are an active person. That the way that you are able to say that's a woman of faith or that's a man of faith is because their inward faith in God is displayed outward. And for Nehemiah, that is certainly true. In the book of James, it's clear that faith is an action verb. It is something we do, not just something we have. You don't just have faith, you do faith. You, you need to put feet to your faith in order for it to be legit. James 1 verse 22 says this, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. James is pretty clear that faith that doesn't work, faith that doesn't do isn't really faith. It's referred to as a dead faith because what I want you to write down is that faith is active. Faith is active. And Nehemiah heard from the Lord, saw the Lord open the door, and now as we come to verse 9 in chapter 2, it was time for him to walk through that open door. And so we're going to be looking at today in Nehemiah uh, three things. We're going to be looking at how Nehemiah walked by faith, how he talked by faith, and how he fought by faith, and uh, how you and I, as we seek to do God's work, God's way, we ought to walk, talk, and fight by faith in order to serve the Lord. So number one, you can note it down, 
walk by faith. Nehemiah walked by faith, and you and I, as we seek the Lord, are to walk by faith. So let's read verses 9 through 16. Verses 9 through 16. And, um, and then we'll go from there. All right, you guys have your Bibles open? Yes, you guys have your Bibles open? All right. Look at verse 9 with me. It says, Then I went to the governors in the region beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now, the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. Uh, so I came to Jerusalem and was there three days, verse 12. Then I rose in the night, and I and a few other men with me, I told no one what God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem, nor was there any animal with me except the one on which I rode, verse 13. And I went out by night through the valley, of, valley gate to the serpent well and the refuse gate and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down and its gates, which were burned with fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal under me to pass. So I went up in the night by the valley and viewed the wall. Then I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the others who did the work. And so we kind of pick up where we left off last week, and we see that now Nehemiah begins to walk by faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says that for we, as in those who follow the Lord, walk by faith and not by sight. This idea of walk is how one lives their life. It's not talking about like actually, you know, how you like walk, okay? It's talking about uh, your, your life, right? That you are to live your life not based upon, well, I see all how this is going to work out and unless I see it, then I can't move. No, faith is to be trusting in a and the Lord, really, uh, and see what he sees, which sometimes for us is, is, is our, our view is limited, but to, to move and, and live in a way that we don't have to have all the details. Where God says step, we don't know how it's going to end, but we step because we're trusting not ourselves and our own abilities, uh, but certainly, certainly God. Now, the, the key word is walk. I'm going to say walk. You see, Nehemiah had been praying by faith. He had been planning by faith. He had even been, been waiting by faith. But now it's time for him to walk. It was time for him to go. Look at verse 9. He says, then I went. Then I went. Where did he go? He started that journey. Now he's in Persia, and he needs to make his way to Jerusalem. He has the green light from the key. Uh, the king, and he needs to begin going. Now, this would have been, you can note down, approximately an 800-mile trek. This would have been about 800 miles from Persia to Jerusalem over a variety of different terrains, over a variety of different places. Now, for you to be able to see how far that really is, uh, 800 miles is uh, estimated about, it's not exact, uh, about from the bottom of California, San Diego area, all right, to the northernmost part of California, uh, which is about 800 miles, give or take. Now, I don't know about you, but I've driven up 
to like San Francisco, which is not the northernmost part. And that takes a while, right? That takes eight hours to drive. Like you get like tired after just driving. Now they are walking. They have animals, yes, but they are, they don't have a car. They don't have a plane. No, they're making this trek, this 800 mile journey uh, in, in really by foot, okay? So this would have taken uh, approximately three months, uh, two to three months. We know in the book of Ezra, because there was already people that had gone from Persia, right? Some of those captives have been let go. Uh, they took four to five months uh, because they had a huge group of people. And, you know, some people are just a little bit slower. But for Nehemiah, he probably had a smaller group. Uh, and, and for them, it most likely took about two to three months. Uh, we see from what we just read that Nehemiah would have used his fast pass, right? He would have, uh, he would have gone to the, the, the governors and said, hey, look, like King said I could pass, so we wouldn't get any issues from there. But look at verse 9. Look in your Bibles. There's this little sentence that can so easily be skipped over, but I think it just has a little bit of, I think it has some uh, prominence for you and I. Verse 9 says that second sentence, now the king... So King Artaxerxes had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. We get one more detail in how God blessed what Nehemiah wanted to do. We see that not only did he have the letters of passage, we talked about last week, right? Letters for materials. He was able to go to the king's forest, get some timber, help build the wall. But then we get this cherry on top that, that now the king, we, this wasn't even something Nehemiah requested but the king, who I think ultimately was the king of kings, influencing the king, which was King Artaxerxes, he says, oh yeah, also I want to give you some horsemen and captains, meaning high-ranking officials, to go with you on this very long journey. Amazing to think that now they get a military escort from Persia to Jerusalem. What, what does this tell you and I? It tells us that, man, God is good and God is faithful and he shows up. And when you are willing, when you say, all right, I don't know how this is all going to look. I don't know the conclusion, but I'm going to walk. I'm going to step out by faith and trust you with the details. That, listen, that's when you're going to see God come through. That's when you're going to experience the faithfulness of God. When you step out, not knowing all the details, God shows up and God shows up in bigger ways than you can ever imagine. But if you don't step, if you don't walk, you're never going to experience you see, Nehemiah could have been like, okay, I got the green light, but I'm just going to hang back and see if anything happens. No, it was upon his decision to go that God, I believe, through the king would say, oh yeah, I also want to give you a military escort all the way there. When you step out to do something for him, man, he, he meets you and he's faithful. And so Nehemiah went and upon going, God blessed him for sure. Uh, but he also um, experiences, the, uh, from what we see in verse 10, look in your Bibles, uh, it stirred up the enemy. It stirred up the enemy. We, we get introduced to these two guys named Sanballat. Everyone say Sanballat. Imagine if your name was Sanballat. Anyone named Sanballat in here? I don't want to offend anyone. All right, what about Tobiah? That one's not as bad. Tobiah. Uh, these, these are the two guys that are mentioned in verse 10. And it says that these guys who live in the area of Jerusalem, they live in the surrounding regions. Uh, we know that Sanballat here uh, is, is referred to 
as a uh, Horonite, which is a surrounding area, Tobiah Ammonite, also a surrounding region, and their officials, meaning that they were high-ranking officials of these other nations, and they heard, wait, someone cares? Someone's going to come to Jerusalem and try to do what? They, they hear about it, and it says, notice verse 10, they're deeply disturbed. They're deeply disturbed that someone would actually care, because for them, for years, Jerusalem and the nation of Israel was a superpower in that region. And so they get word, man, someone's going to come and try to restore what, what our enemy once was. And so uh, we're going to see more with them in verse 19, which is at the end of our text. Uh, but just keep that in mind. These guys are going to pop their heads up, not just once, not just twice, but a handful of times. So uh, Nehemiah gets there. Look at, look at verse 11. Okay. He gets there to Jerusalem. He says, I've arrived to Jerusalem. And so between verse 10 and 11, if you have your own Bible, what you could do is just, you can write down a, a three-month gap that's not recorded. He doesn't tell us like, this is how the journey went. Uh, it just kind of jumps forward in verse 11. We see three months later, approximately, uh, Nehemiah arrives to Jerusalem. Says that he's there for three days, kind of rests from the trip, most likely. Um, and then what is started in verse 12. Look at verse 12 in your Bibles. I don't want you to, to miss out. Verse 12, it says, then I arose in the night and I had a few men with me. And then we'll get to that in a moment, the next part. But then it says uh, in verse 13, and I went out by night through the valley gate. So he begins, what I want you to write down is his scouting expedition. All right, this is his scouting expedition. What does that mean? He's beginning to get the lay of the land. You guys know when you go camping, and maybe you've never gone camping, but when you go camping, you know, you arrive to the campsite, your parents had booked it, uh, and then you get there, you got your trailer, you got your tents, whatever, you begin sitting up, but you start to get a lay of the land, right? You start to notice, okay, bathroom's over there, all right, all right, water spigot, that's there, all right, fireplace, okay, or a little fire ring, right? And you start noticing, okay, uh, that's, uh, that's where the trash is, okay, that's where the cliff, I want to jump off that cliff later, all right? Uh, you, start to, you start to get a lay of the land, right? You start to, okay, this is the area. Well, for Nehemiah, he gets to Jerusalem, and he's going to start at a certain gate uh, called the Valley Gate, and he's going to begin to go counterclockwise and just kind of walk through the city. He's going to find out, okay, what, what's here? Like, how bad is it, right? He's heard about it. He's prayed about it. He's planned to go there, but now he's there. And so he begins this scouting expedition, getting the lay of the land. But notice in verse 12, we, we read it a moment ago. It's that, that second part in verse 12. He says, I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do. Now you could easily read over that, but I'm gonna read it once more. Look in your Bibles. He said, I told, this is Nehemiah speaking, I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do. It's very clear that Nehemiah was internally led by God. That Nehemiah had this confidence that what he was doing wasn't his idea. Did you guys hear me? What Nehemiah was doing, this whole thing to build the wall, this wasn't his idea. He knew that it was God who had put this in his heart. And I believe that this right here in verse 12 was the key to his entire success. If you have your own Bibles, this is something you want to highlight, circle. Uh, I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do. Listen, it wasn't a show. 
Nehemiah wasn't doing this because he's like, ooh, I see this opportunity, right? I see this position. I see this power that I could gain. I could go and be the governor of Jerusalem and, and make my own way. No, this wasn't, this wasn't a show. And we know that because he didn't tell anyone his plan. That he gets there, and I'm sure they, think about it. They were like, okay, this guy, Nehemiah, he's one of us. Oh, it's Hanani's brother. Okay, he's here now. And he came with a Persian military escort. What's all that wood for? What's going on? And the, the Bible says that right here. For the first few days, he didn't tell anyone. Why? Because he didn't need, listen, what God was telling him to do, he didn't need anyone else's endorsement. He didn't need anyone else's approval. That Nehemiah experienced hearing the voice of God in his life. And I believe that this confidence came, remember that four month of pe- time period where he was praying, nothing was happening? I believe it was during those four months of seeking the Lord that this just became so clear that you couldn't convince Nehemiah that God hadn't spoken to him. Now, does that mean Nehemiah heard the voice of the Lord? Does that mean that an angel appeared to him? <laughs> I don't believe so. The Bible doesn't say anything about this, this uh, like we read at other times in the Old Testament, but somehow he knew. How did he know? How did he know that God put this in his heart? How did he know it wasn't just himself? How did he know he wasn't someone else's idea? Well, unlike Nehemiah, you and I, we actually have an advantage on Nehemiah. You want to know what it is? We have the Holy Spirit in us. Nehemiah, no doubt, as you look at the story, this guy was anointed by God. That The Holy Spirit was involved, but he was never, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit never indwelt someone. We see the Holy Spirit come upon, yet you and I have the intimacy, the closeness with God that his very, him and us are like that as a believer. And God desires to lead and to guide us. And how much more, should you and I be able to discern and start to notice the voice of God in our life? But how does that happen? Right? You've, maybe, maybe you've heard people say, I, I heard from the Lord. Right? Or man, I felt like right, God put it in my heart to do. Maybe you've heard that, or maybe that's been something that uh, maybe I've said before, but what does that look like? Does that mean you, you hear an audible voice? Right? People say that prayer ought to be a dialogue and not just a monologue, but what the heck? How, how does that actually happen? Well, you know how you get to begin to know someone's voice over time, right? That, that you begin to recognize someone's voice based upon how much you hear it. Like, like, and I've shared this with you before. If your mom came in the room and, and she was in the snack bar and she yelled your name, okay, you would know who that was. You'd be like, that's my mom's voice. Okay, why? Because you have a previous relationship and so you know. And, and, and over time, you get to be able to discern like, okay, no, I know, I know that voice. And I believe that as you pursue God in relationship by prayer and by reading his word, that over time, you will begin to hear his voice. Now, it's not, it's not an outside voice because listen, the Holy Spirit's in you which means God is so connected in with your spirit in a way that he's able to use your consciousness to speak to you. And I believe that is the idea of what's happening here in Nehemiah when he said, my God put it in my heart to do. And I've had people come up to me over the years in junior hires too of how do I hear, how do I hear from God? And 
I have found oftentimes when I start to ask questions and say, okay, what's, what's your, you know, do you read God's word? Do you pray? What does your prayer life look like? Oftentimes we speak to God, not often we allow God to speak to us. Have you ever asked? Have you ever sat alone quietly and asked him to speak to you and say, God, I want you, I, I want to hear your voice. You see, John 10, 27 says this, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. You want to be able to discern, God's speaking to each and every one of you. I have no doubt about it. But some of you, um, you're not able to discern his voice, that it just sounds like your own. And I think the key is, is that as you begin to read God's word, you start to notice, oh, this is what God's like. And over time, you're going to begin to notice, okay, that, that was the Lord in my life. That was him. That, that was him who, who spoke. And it's not this audible big thing. And it's not supposed to be confusing either. The Bible says that God is not the author of confusion, but the author of peace. That I believe it's in times that we allow and we ask God and we're quiet before him. That God's able to use our consciousness and speak into us. And for Nehemiah, he experienced that to some extent. Does that make sense? All right. Um, now, in, in verses 13 through 15, so he, he, he kind of didn't tell anyone. He, he goes on his scouting trip, and he begins to look around, right? He begins to say, okay, what, what is the damages? He begins to assess the damages. He had been praying. He had been planning, but now he's there. And, you know, I, I wonder what, think about what Nehemiah might have experienced that night, right? He, he kind of sneaks out into the night, takes a few guys with him, we're told, and he begins to, to walk around uh, the city. It most likely was a couple miles in, in, in diameter that he's going around. And was it overwhelming? Was, it, was he seeing the, the burned gates and the broken down walls? And what he's, was he saying like, I don't know, how is it going to work? Oh man, how, how am I going to do this? What, what type of things was he thinking? Was he thinking, man, this place has been destroyed for 150 years. Who am I to think that I can come here and just resurrect it all of a sudden? What I want you to write down is that Nehemiah was counting the cost. He was counting the cost. We see this. He, he was going and he was, he was asking himself, is, is this worth the work? What, what, what does this take? What do we need? Does the, the value of the finished product against the work that it's going to take, is this, is this worth it? And in a similar way, there is a cost to be counted when following Jesus. Jesus told his disciples that he wanted them to count the cost. And the cost is ultimately everything, right? Jesus said uh, that unless you're willing to forsake all and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. That, that it has to be everything. And, and it is hard. It is sacrificial. There's, listen, there are legitimate sacrifices you have to make if you want to be used by the Lord. And, you know, this is a principle that as we seek to, and we say, I want to serve God, have you weighed it out? Because there's sacrifices you have to make. Now, is it worth it? 100%. But we should be wise like Nehemiah to count the cost. Is it worth for you and I as believers to, to say no to certain comforts and conveniences that we might experience. To, to follow Jesus and serve him, is it, is it worth compromising a friendship because of your convictions? 
Is it worth moving, if God had asked you to move to a third world country, is that worth it to, to um, move and, and be a missionary? Is it worth it to stay in California? Is it, listen, see, on, on the appearances, if we walk by sight and not by faith, then it's not worth it. But if we walk by faith and not by sight, then even though California seems insane, the policies seem nuts, the, the, the high cost of everything, everything that I'm sure you're experiencing at home that your parents might tell you, yeah, it's insane. But what if that God would tell you, I want you to stay. I want you to stay in, in, in the hard place. I don't want you to take the easy route out. And yes, on the sides, yes, well, we could have such a better life. Is that what life is about? Or do you want to serve the Lord? And so there are certain sacrifices. There is counting the costs. And Nehemiah walked by faith. Quite literally, he walked around the city asking, I wonder, I just would love to see what he was thinking, what he was praying about. And he was walking through that door of opportunity. Someone once said, there are three kinds of people in the world. Those who don't know what's happening. We all know those. Some of you might be that. Those who watch what's happening, oh, I'm just, just, a, just a spectator, and then those who make things happen. And Nehemiah was someone that wasn't just going to be ignorant, and he wasn't someone that was just going to watch things happen. He said, I'm going to go, and he walked by faith. Secondly, what we're looking at this morning is that he not only walked by faith, but out of that walking by faith came talking by faith. And we see this uh, in, in some of the the words of Nehemiah, the first time we see him talk in our passage today is in verse 17. All right? You still have your Bibles open? Come on. You guys still have your Bibles open? Yes? Okay. I want to hear from you. It helps me. All right? Talk by faith. Verse 17 through 18. Then I said to them, so he is speaking, and he says, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them, all the people of Jerusalem, of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work, to this good work. Within our walking by faith, it almost always includes talking. And this is where, and I know, because I know you guys, and I've been working with junior high students for a while now, is that talking is not always your expertise. Now, sometimes, and then you get in trouble for talking, uh, but other times, right, it can just be a, a daunting task for some of you. I shared with you earlier 2 Corinthians 5, 7, right? For we walk by faith, not by sight. Well, later on in that chapter... Notice what Paul says. He says this. He says, now then, we are ambassadors, representatives for Christ. And notice, as though God were pleading. What does it mean to plead with someone? It means to not just like, hey, you should do this. No, it means to, to really encourage someone. Like if you saw someone walking in the middle of the street, you would plead with them, there's cars coming. Right? You, it wouldn't just be this, oh, there's a, oh okay, he's dead. No, no. It, it, it would be this like pleading. You'd be pleading with them to, to come back. And Paul here says, as an ambassador, which all of us are representatives of Christ if we follow him, if, if we have him as our Lord and Savior, 
then God wants to use you to plead through you with other people. This is what he wants. This is what he desires. And I don't mean preaching or teaching from a pulpit, but at the bare minimum, a one-on-one conversation. And for some of you that are Christians and maybe are a little bit on the shyer side, this terrifies you. Uh, it might be something that you'd be resistant to. Jeremiah 20 verse 9 says this. Jeremiah could relate with you. He says, Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name, but his word was in my heart like a burning fire, shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. Now, Jeremiah was a legitimate prophet. Like, his whole design was to be a messenger for the Lord. And now you and I, we don't, God no longer sends prophets. He sends you and I as his mouthpiece, as his messengers to speak to the world. And there's going to be times when we might be able to relate to Jeremiah and say, I don't want to do it. I don't want to talk. And, and I think if, if you have been following the Lord for any amount of time, then you've felt those times when he has pressed upon you. And it's not this external voice, go and talk to that person, but you know. The Lord is asking me to go and talk to that person, and that is the last thing I want to do. Listen, God can use all of you. He can use your hands to to help feed homeless. He can use your your feet and, and your strength to put chairs back after church. But his primary desire is to use your words. It's to use your mouth, to use your, your heart and your mind and to speak through you. And for Nehemiah, this is, this is kind of comes to this point where he gathers everyone together. Okay, he's there. They don't know why he's there yet. He gathers, gathers them together and he begins to speak to them in these two verses. And he first kind of tells them, look at verse 17. He tells them where they're at. He says, look, the place is a disaster. He's like, this is, any, but he, he uses, he doesn't say you're a disaster. He kind of puts uh, him, himself in there. He says, you see the distress that we, we are in. He doesn't say you all are messed up. He says, look, we're messed up. This place is not how God intended it to be. So he kind of, he doesn't sugarcoat it. He tells them how it is. Um, he says, this is where we're at. And then look at the second part though. He tells them what to do. He says, come. He says, let us build. He says, let's do it. He's like, there's work to be done. He says, let's do it. So he, he tells them where they're at, what to do about it. And then he tells them the why. Look at verse 18. He, he begins to tell them the why. He says, and I told them of the hand of my God, which has been good upon me, and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. He begins to share his personal testimony. This is what God's been doing. He opened this door. I don't know how I'm here. Three months ago, I was in Persia and I was the king's cupbearer, but now I'm here and, and I have the military escort and I, have the, and I even have the lumber. God's doing something. Do you want to be a part of it? And so he tells them the where, the what, and the why. And look, this was enough for the people. Look at the end of verse 18. They said, all right, let us, let's do it. They say, we're in. Let us rise up and build. Think of all the excuses they could have had, right? The, this has been nothing new. They could have just said, no, like, this is how it is now. It's been 150 years. No one, you know, people have tried and failed. God, go home, Nehemiah. Like, good try. No, they, they say, though, they say, let's do it. Nehemiah gave obvious instructions, simple direction, and he shared what God had done. And I think, and you might say, Joel, what, what's the point of it, all of this? Why, why do we care about how he persuaded the people to build a wall? 
I think there's a model for you and I here in it, and I think the model is as follows. I believe that we have a, a model that we can take here of how you and I should approach talking by faith, how, how you and I should approach uh, people and, and, and how God wants to use our conversations with others uh, to do his work. Remember, God's not no longer in the business of building walls. He's in the bu- business of building church, which is, involves people. God's in the business of people. That's what he's about. And he wants you to use you to influence other people. But how do we do that? Well, first, we get the lay of the land. You know, sometimes we want to be used by God, and so we just start sharing things. But we don't have any information before we start sharing. Uh, that's how you can kind of get yourself in, into some, uh, some trouble. Yes, it's, it's beneficial to share truth, but why don't you get the lay of the land? Ask some questions. Get some, know the person. Establish some sort of a relationship. Ask what they believe and begin to establish that. Get the lay of the land. But secondly, uh, as, as you get the lay of the land, okay, you kind of know where they're at. Point to the present reality. Talk about the, the evilness and sinfulness of our world. Does this, does this world seem like a place that, that, that's going well? No, it's a disaster because men have sinned against God and you've sinned against God and you need, you need a savior. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And that's when number three comes in. You begin to point them to the solution. You say, okay, like this, this is what Jesus did. This is the whole point. This is the solution. And, and fourth and finally, you can begin to share the personal testimony of what God's done in your own life. See, God wants to use you but will you walk? Will you walk out by faith? You're not going to see how the conversation is going to end, but will you, are you saying, would you say, I'm willing to talk for you, Lord? I'm willing to, to be used by you. Well, Nehemiah certainly was. And finally, as we kind of bring this to a close quickly, we're going to look at point number three, which is not only did he walk, talk, but he fought by faith. And you and I are to fight by faith. Look at verses 19 and 20. We'll finish off chapter two. All right. Finish off chapter two. You guys good? You guys ready for this last point? All right, look at verse 19. It says, but when Sanballat, oh man, we see this guy again, the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and now they have a friend with him, and Geshem the Arab heard of it. They laughed at us and despised us and said, what is this thing you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? So I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build, but you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. And so we, we once again, right, we, we saw that glimpse that they were deeply disturbed back in verse uh, 10 about, you know, these guys, Sanballat and Tobiah. Now they added a third, third person to their gang, and now they're known as the three evil musketeers, all right? And they are evil, uh, you might say, Joel, how could you say such a thing? Uh, if you read, if you keep reading in Nehemiah, you will see how uh, they come against the work of the Lord. And what we're going to see with these three, they're not the, the only time, like I mentioned, this is not the only time that we're going to see them. They're going to make another appearance in chapter four. Um, and what's the deal with these guys? Why, why, what, what's their deal? What can we learn from them? Well, I think God has placed them in scripture because I don't know if you know, but the enemy of your soul, which exists, 
Uh, you not only have a lover of your soul, his name is Jesus, but you have an enemy of your soul, and his name is Satan. Right? Well, his title is Satan, his name is Lucifer. And he wants the very worst for you. And he wants you not to be used by God. He wants you to shut your mouth and sit in a corner. And if he can't bring you to hell with him, then he's going to make sure that God doesn't use any uh, of your words to influence other people from not going to hell. And so he'll do whatever he can to do that. And what we learn here is some of his, his tactics. In the New Testament, we know that the enemy doesn't just have, just kind of do what he wants. He has a, he has a strategy. He has tactics. And what we see here is, is some of his tactics. And one of them is he'll just make fun of you, right? Look at, it says that, that these guys, uh, they, they heard what Nehemiah was at. Like they were there. They're in the crowd, it seems like. Like he's talking to all the people of Jerusalem, but then the, there's these guys in the crowd too. And they laugh and despise. They look down upon, they begin to mock and ridicule, right? You can just hear it. You can't hear the tone, but look at what they say in verse 19. You know, they say, Will this, what is this thing that you're doing? What are you doing? Are, are you going to rebel against the king? Now, were they rebelling against the king? No, they're actually being obedient to the king, right? The, the king, Artaxerxes, was the one that sent them to be able to go. But often, what the enemy loves to do is, is bring false, false accusations, getting you to second think. Because what, what he's doing, they're stepping out in faith, but, but Satan always loves to get us to second think, to, to have that second thought of, ah, like, I think this is what God's, ah, I don't know, is it? Is this absurd? Am I going to be able to do this? Alan Redpath says this. Alan Redpath says this. When we say, let us arise and build, the enemy says, us, says let us arise and stop him. And it's true. Listen, for any of you, maybe God's stirring up your heart to, to, to be used, to influence someone else for the gospel. And he desires to do that, but don't be surprised when you get pushed back. Don't be surprised when you get made fun of. Don't be surprised. That, that is literally one of the things that the enemy loves to do because what does it do? It makes you take a step back. As soon as you say, I'm gonna step out for God, Satan said, gonna do whatever he can to make you step back. And this could have proved to be Nehemiah's first setback, but it wasn't. He responded and he responded. He fought with faith. He didn't start making fun of them. He didn't revile at them. He didn't return laughter for laughter, mocking for mocking. He simply fought in the way of trusting the Lord. Notice Nehemiah's confident reply. He says, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will rise and build. But he says, but you, you, you have no part in this. The idea is this. You know, he doesn't go into detail he doesn't try to, he doesn't like talk about their accusations. Say, actually, I have letters from the king himself, so you can go and pound sand. No, he doesn't do any of that. He just says, this is what God has asked us to do, and so we're going to do it. Don't you love that confidence? Uh, he, you know, Romans 8.31 says, if God is for us, who could be against us? If the God who literally made everything is for you, then does it matter if anyone is against you? Now, that doesn't give you the right to be arrogant and prideful, but it should give you confidence. It should give you the confidence of when David, right, defeated Goliath. You guys remember? And you, you hopefully have heard the story. But do you remember how that, that simple con confidence that little, little David had against Goliath? They said, who's this chump 
Who's this guy talking bad about God and the armies of Israel? And so he says, put me in, coach. He says, strap me up. Let's go. I'll get some rocks. I don't care who this guy is. It wasn't arrogant. It was confident. And he, and he goes in a way where, right, Goliath, Goliath begins to laugh and mock him. Do you remember? He says, you brought this guy to face me? And simply, David says, the Lord's going to deliver you into my hand. So I will strike you and I will take your head from you. Like, oh my gosh. Listen, the Bible describes that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. And you need to expect as you step out in faith, oh man, you're going to get pushed back. It's not going to look like a demon, right? You're going to see a lot of crazy stuff tonight. Uh, you know, just people, houses, all kinds of stuff. It's not going to look like this. You know, it's not going to be like that. It's going to be through people that look so nice and then are so mean. And you're like, oh my gosh, why? Because look, listen, God has people that he uses and Satan has people that he uses. That's how it is. But we should not be discouraged. We should be confident that if God is the one who put it in our heart, that he'll be the one to make the way. And so it's clear that God opened this door for Nehemiah and he walked through it. And God has opened doors for you. He, I believe today God would say, doors open. It's just your choice whether you're going to twist the handle and walk through it. Lord, we come before you and Lord, your word is it's just good and exciting. Certainly not boring. Um, Lord, anyone that thinks your word is not relevant, it's because they really haven't read it. Lord, that each and one of these things are, are just relevant for, for us today and what we go through and what we do as we seek to, to love you and serve you. And Lord, we pray, I just pray over all of us right now that you would strengthen us. Lord, we know that it is your word that brings us greater faith. And Lord, we pray as the disciples, increase our faith. We pray that you would increase in our life, that we would decrease, that the comforts and the conveniences that we experience, that we would be willing to put it on the altar because we wanna, we wanna, we wanna please you. Lord, we know that you wanna plead through us. You want us to be your representatives. How awesome is that you would, you would say, as Nehemiah said to the people, and, and Nehemiah said, come, let us build. That you would say us today, come and let us build. That you look at us like co-laborers, fellow workers. That some plant, some water, God, but we know it's you that gives the growth. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to just do our part in planting and watering. Lord, that you do the rest. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen.